Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Thanks again for um, al allowing um, a big part of the retreat to, to happen in, uh, in English. I don't know what uh, language is the inner speech, <laughs> but uh, in the exchanges we'll have together, uh, English is uh, used. So thank you for, for, for this. Um, Somehow at uh, lunchtime I was thinking, um, I had never thought about this, I was thinking, I wonder how many um, LGBTQ uh, teachers I know that teach um, retreats and, and stuff, so I, I counted. And uh, I, I was uh, really, uh, I mean, just the people I know, and I was above two dozens, two dozen, uh, very quickly. Most people have actually... Uh, <coughs> taught on retreats uh, with and uh, yeah more than two dozen because of there's a few in this room here uh, I hear so um, so I thought oh wow we're doing well <laughs> um, uh, and actually the first um, the first Dharma book that I ever read was by uh, Gavin Harrison who actually died last week. Gavin um, was still teaching. He was actually uh, on the plane going from, um, I think, from California to Hawaii to teach the next day, and he had the heart attack. And he was the sweetest soul, such a sweet uh, man. And so maybe 25 years ago, I, uh, I, I, I don't know how I ran into this, uh, this book, the, the title is called, um, the title is uh, uh, In the Lap of the Buddha. And uh, Gavin is a, a, a white um, male, cis male, who grew up in South Africa. And in the, in the, in the book describes, um, uh, describes um, you know, being the survivor of a, of a sexual abuse, ag aggression, uh, actually more than a survivor, I would say a thriver, uh, and, um, and also uh, talks a lot in the book about being HIV positive. And uh, so for me it meant a lot because the first time I read the Dharma book, I had just learned I was HIV positive a few months before, and I run into this book, so my introduction to Buddhism is through the experience of a human being uh, that uh, I can really relate to uh, a, a lot of uh, what is described and can uh, actually uh, in a way be mentored even through a book, you know, on how to hold uh, such, a, such a thing. And, um, and actually I, I met Gavin only many, many years ago maybe a decade and a half um, later after reading the book. Um, one day I was teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock um, Meditation Center, a, a retreat center in California that uh, Jack Cornfield uh, founded, is my teacher, with uh, Joseph Goldstein. And, uh, and I made the mistake, I showed up a day early to the... I thought the retreat was starting on the Saturday show, so I show up at the retreat center a few hours before it starts, and I couldn't understand. Usually, it's more buzzing, you know, people with suitcases and, you know, preparing the. And it was there was nothing happening, and I looked at the schedule and I figured out, oh my God, it's it starts. Uh, so I arrived like a Friday, and it start. Yeah, it starts tomorrow, and uh, it's in rural. Um, uh, California, that there was not much happening. I thought, oh, oh, what am I going to do? And I looked around, and I saw tonight uh, there's a talk in the in the the hall that is not for a retreat but for a 
courses, classes, and it's Gavin Harrison who's, uh, who's giving the talk. And I thought, oh my God, my luck. I'm actually going to meet my model, you know, like my, be able to hear, see him and hear him all these years after. And, uh, and so uh, I talked to a few people who were there and I said, oh my, I'm so lucky Gavin is here. And, and, um, and uh, at some point I actually ran into him in the center and he was like, oh, I was looking for you, I was looking for you. I, I, somebody told me you were here and, and I was like, oh my God, really. Uh, kind of starstruck. I was so happy to meet him. Such a sweetheart. And I'll tell you just one story about this to me that exemplify what we're developing here. So um, there's something kind of... Um, I, I don't know how to describe... Uh, Gavin is an artist, a poet. He's like f kind of a free soul, you know, and... Uh, and so at that, that night at the class, there was, I would say, about 200 people uh, sitting in the hall. And, uh, and he's <coughs> reading poetry and uh, kind of being uh, <coughs> maybe fabulous would be one, one way to describe how he was. Kind of a, there was a, an aspect of him that was kind of ecstatic, just like loving life, and he would al always say like, oh, we're going to be mischievous tonight. And he, he, I remember him using this word a lot. So there was something playful uh, in his dharma that was really, really beautiful. Uh, like a unique expression, I would say. And so at some point, he does a Q&A. And somebody in the middle of the crowd raises their hand. So there's a, a young person and this young person start to describe uh, their their experience of um, they start to report on their practice and so they were saying now it's faded some because it's been a few years but um, they were describing uh, you know practicing with the you know, trying to bring the best of the, the the best of their qualities to the practice, but being kind of um, it's even touching to think of it, um, overwhelmed, drawn in you know self-loathing, self-hatred, and um, kind of the despair. This th these were the emotions being described, the, the, and this young being was describing this with such honesty, such vulnerability, such, um, yeah, there was, uh, there was uh, something absolutely beautiful. And uh, everybody was listening very, very closely and being uh, touched by the, uh, the care and the, uh, and the actually accuracy of the mind state being described. You know, there some seemed like it was a uh, yeah, we, we had the, r the access to something really special. Somebody in a crowd of 200 people being totally vulnerable and honest about who they are. And um, where I was sitting much further away, I, could, I, I was looking at this young person and looking at everybody listening. With such love, you know, with such care, really seeing the person, kind of accompanying this person in silence, you know, like being there, taking in the suffering, the, the, what was described. And uh, Gavin, as everyone else, was really tuning in, being there, witnessing, uh, holding space. And when this young person finished talking, Gavin very spontaneously stood up <coughs> and walked in the crowd to the person. And there's something about, I don't know how it's held here, but often the teacher is on one side and, and the students on the other side, a little bit like the setup here. And 
I really enjoyed his, uh, I was touched by his, uh, the freedom of his spirit. He could break the norm. You know, he could easily, like, he, he just went for what was in his heart. So he went through the crowd and sat in front of this young person. took the hand of this young person and he said a number of things I can't remember actually it was just the quality of the presence was so beautiful and at the end this is what I remember he said Gavin said to the young person with a lot of confidence in this Uh, or anyway he said sometimes we're the last one to find out that we're lovely and I thought it was such a description of what was actually happening in the room because it seemed like 199 people were actually seeing the beauty the amazing beauty of this young person accept this person at that point at least and uh, yeah and so there's this moment Um, and so that's how uh, I remember uh, Gavin uh, being very loving and playful and um, and uh, and that moment to me was a, I had a sense there was a transmission happening. <coughs> there was something that was uh, given, and I'm not sure the, per- the this young person could hold that, you know. But I think in time they will. This is a strong impression. I think it's going to have a an echo, an impact. Um, so. So in a way, I'm bringing in, um, you know, our queer uh, elders of this uh, tradition. Um, And um, so I'm also thinking about in the list that I made, um, um, uh, one of the first names that came was uh, Irina Wiseman. Irina Wiseman. Uh, strangely enough, I'm thinking about it just now. Arena grew up um, also in South Africa. Uh, she teaches now in the, in, the, in America. She's also a white uh, South American uh, from a family of uh, uh, activists. Uh, you know, um, uh, and, and a queer uh, teacher. And so I'll tell you one insight that I had, like um, a kind of a psychological, liberating uh, insight uh, or experience, we could call it as you want, you know. But um, so it's the first time I was teaching, um, uh, uh, teaching with her uh, and another teacher, Larry Yang, uh, um, Asian American teacher. We were the three of us were. Uh, uh, offering a retreat for LGBTQ uh, folks in California. At this retreat, uh, there's often uh, around 70 people coming together. Uh, and uh, so I was sitting here quiet, like on the side here, and Irina was giving the talk. And, um, and, uh, and I was, yeah, just sitting there listening, you know, like... Uh, really taking it in. To me, listening to a talk is very much like meditating. Uh, often my eyes are closed. I'm sitting in the posture of meditation. And I try to be fully available, you know, and be touched, you know, the, in the way that I... That, uh, so I was uh, extremely attentive, following every word and uh, idea. And then at some point... She said this sentence, and with this sentence, it almost seems like, not it seems, like something switched in my, in, in my understanding of the world or who I was. Just one sentence, and I could see, you know, 
liberating words. You know, it, like she liberated me from a, a view that I had that was a wrong view that I was clinging to or stuck with, depending on how you c you want to see this. That 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 suddenly, poof, like it vanished. And she said just one very simple sentence. She said, and I remember I opened my eyes because I was so kind of like shocked by what she said that I wanted to see, hold on, what's, what's that, you know? And I remember, and she was, and she has this smile, and she had that, that smile like this, and her hands were like this, and she was saying, the, f the sentence she said is, I'm, uh, I am honored to be queer. And, she, and the honored was such a different world view that I had. Like, I was not honored up until when she said it. I was ashamed to be queer. And she kind of, like, with her <laughs> magic wand, you know, she broke that spell. Because she was so meaning what she, she said, it was an honor for her. It was a privilege. It was a a special gift. I had never considered it like this. It was not uh, uh, possible for me at this point because of, you know, the conditioning I had been exposed to. But when she said, I'm honored to be queer, at that moment, I also was honored to be queer or became like this, you know. And it was such a relief, such a... It was... It had the taste of freedom, you know, instead of something pressing on me that I was tolerating, like a lot of society. At that moment, suddenly something got liberated. A kind of a, I don't know, I'm not going to put words on it. Uh, these words are there. Um, and so to me, so what is um, the practice of Dharma or Buddhism? The essential, the the essentiality, <laughs> the, what in essence it is, is suffering, and the end of suffering, liberating insight. You know how we go from wrong view, a view that is oppressing, limiting, to a view that is liberating, uh, and so that's definitely one uh, one version of that. Went from self oppression, of course, makes total sense. You know. The conditioning in the society can easily lead to this, you know, for, um, you know, intersex people or two-spirited, gender non-conforming, questioning, queer, uh, uh, bi, pansexual, asexual, um, gay, lesbian, all of us. So these are, uh, yeah, some of the words from our teachers. And closer to, um, even closer these days, because uh, my main uh, uh, partner, when I, I teach uh, uh, very often with Anushka Fernando Pule, and I don't know if you've ever uh, heard Anushka, she's a really, uh, really good uh, teacher. Um, we actually trained together for four years with uh, Jack Cornfield and, and Joseph Goldstein. Um, we are the same uh, same age, and we often teach together. And uh, just to bring it closer to here, uh, and to uh, honor uh, Anushka, I often teach the LGBTQ retreats with her at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, in the USA. Uh, we teach uh, together very often, and at that retreat, we'll uh, typically have like 95, 97 uh, LGBTQ people coming together. So it's really impressive, you know, in the in the hall to have that. And uh, there'll be uh, a lot of trans people and uh, a lot of people of color, uh, and so it's it's there's a strong diversity that is uh, vibrant. Uh, and this one, I actually can't remember exactly 
how uh, why uh, Anushka was uh, using this uh, imagery, uh, but it applies to to any phenomena anyway. Uh, and so we'll, I'll try to make it, you know, fit with something. It's going to be extremely easy. Uh, but she was describing, I think, last year, last summer or the summer before, she happened to be traveling in. Uh, uh, in Europe, and she was in Amsterdam for the Gay Pride. And so at the retreat, uh, I think uh, in September at the LGBTQ retreat, she was describing to the hundred uh, uh, meditators that were there, she was uh, using the analogy of the Gay Pride that she watched on the canal. And she said she was amazed at, at um, how, and so you'll be able to confirm this for me because I haven't seen this, but she was saying how there was these huge, um, you know, what are they, floats, really floating here in Amsterdam, I guess. Uh, and, uh, and so there's these, you know, I don't know if they're characters or, or um, uh, the word, the exact word ex- escapes me. But anyway, she said, every time there's a bridge, the whole thing collapses. <laughs> And then it goes under the bridge and the whole thing comes back up. <laughs> and do you recognize your practice as you're sitting here, you know? You're sitting here and, oh my God, I want to be back home. You know, this is where I really want to be, you know? And then, bing, the, the, you know, the bell rings and that story deflates for a few moments, you know? And it's non-existent. And then in a few minutes later, yeah, but I really want to be back home, you know? And so the impermanence, the ephemeral nature of phenomena. So uh, uh, Anushka was using that analogy to describe our experience of retreat. How, you know, suddenly, you know, I don't know, I'm the worst meditator appears, you know. And so it's big, you know, inflation. And and we believe in it and exist, you know, and give it a few minutes and suddenly... It's just, you know, now I want a cookie. You know, (laughs) the worst meditator (laughs) appeared and disappeared. It was uh, an empty arising, like in the gay pride, how, you know, (laughs) something will arise like this. It's made of what inside? Apparently, as I hear, nothing. Air, thin air, you know. Yet... It has a strong impression on everyone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it uh, leaves uh, very powerful impressions. And so, uh, uh, Anushka, uh, uh, teaching the Dharma, uh, using the event of uh, gay pride, to Amsterdam's gay pride, to pass on the, the Dharma. The Buddha would be uh, pri- proud. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the Buddha, uh, there's an, uh, an exchange where uh, somebody, I think, comes, I think that's how it unfolds, that somebody comes to the Buddha and says, um, you know, these teachers, or they teach the Dharma in this uh, local language. That's not fitting. You know, they should teach in the, you know, whatever the more, you know, Latin, Sanskrit, official language was, you know. And the Buddha said, no, no, it's really important that they teach in the local language. That's how the tra- the, Buddha, the Dharma should be transmitted, you know. So here I know we're doing this in English, but we're doing it also in the queer language, or trying to, you know, do it in the, lo- the language that will resonate with uh, people. So I think it's a beautiful endeavor uh, to do that. I remember one time I was uh, in the same way, you know, co-teaching with um, other teachers. And one of the teachers was a 
straight uh, white male was um, giving a talk and during the talk there was, there was maybe a hundred retreatants there um, uh, he was referring to his wife you know my wife this and my wife that my wife that and maybe by the fourth time that he said my wife I could feel like a kind of a ping in the heart you know thinking how is he for him, you know, to refer to his wife in the heterosexual world, you know, like for me to actually refer to my partner would it would require decision making. It would not be ex- spontaneous. It would require a surmounting fear. It would require uh, a vulnerability. It would uh, it would require a lot more. You know, it would be a lot more expensive, you know, in terms of price. And maybe the you know the lash the lash out that would follow, which I actually have uh, experienced, and I have t- to be totally honest with you, I have experienced this m- uh, more in Europe than in uh, the North America, where people after a talk will you know driving me back to the airport or will say uh, something very nice about like you don't have to talk about being HIV positive or you don't have to you know I'm saying this to protect you, you know like kind of reinforcing the norm, you know. Of, uh, and so um, I remember sitting there and hearing this teacher, and after I had a conversation uh, with him, and I said, uh, said, I don't know how aware you are, that how easy it is for you to, uh, like the privilege you have of living in a heterosexual, being heterosexual in a heterosexual society, that you can is it so easily talk about your, your wife, you know. And he was really surprised. And I said, it could be good uh, that you're uh, now that you're aware of it. Maybe next time you talk about your wife, you might add a little something because in a hundred people, you'll have at least ten people there. You know who are uh, you know part of this community, and so that could be a really beautiful expression of benevolence and inclusivity to say, I'm aware that it's easy for me to name this. You know, and that it might not be for somebody who would wish to have a partner and doesn't have one, for somebody who uh, uh, doesn't have the right to marry. You know, especially if uh, the expression "uses my wife," it means there's been a wedding. When in some of the countries uh, that we live in, that's not something that it's a privilege. That is, uh, you know, and so and that's how you know the Dharma can be made accessible. And uh, that's maybe why we're uh, sitting here and making this more, you know, more conscious a dharma that speaks to us, you know, and uh, and slowly we'll be able to wake up uh, our friends uh, of the, uh, you know, our cis friends or our uh, heterosexual friends. I'm actually uh, reading uh, right now an, uh, an anthology of um, of, uh, uh, of um, an anthology of uh, Buddhist writing by trans uh, folks, and so this anthology doesn't exist yet. It's uh, it's I'm reading the you know pre-published version. Uh, and um, there's such wisdom, and it's so educational for me to read uh, the experience uh, of uh, 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 different experiences of uh, uh, the Dharma through uh, trance uh, eyes, if I could say. And so I'm very excited that this book is going to be published. Probably uh, this time next year it's going to be out. And we'll be able to read this and really gain insight um, uh, in our own lives uh, and insight also in the, in the experience of trans people. And, and uh, so something that I've read already in a few of the stories that uh, keep uh, coming back, I, I find it ex- uh, extremely powerful, is um, um, uh, 
folks describing the experience of um, gender dysphoria. So I, I, I don't know if you s- you're familiar with this term, the gender dysphoria, I'll put it in my words, is uh, the experience of uh, maybe being in the wrong uh, body or the wrong, uh, uh, the wrong uh, sex or gender or, um, and all the, uh, the, the sense that comes uh, with, with this, the, the, the confusion, the, maybe the, the, the despair and the, the violence from, uh, coming from the outside, you know, the misunderstanding uh, and all this. And in many of the stories that I'm reading, uh, I love the, the, the clarity. Uh, I, I think it's such a teaching on acceptance. And uh, again, I'll put it in my words. I'm a cis person. I, I, um, maybe I experience, I would say, s- uh, some ambiguity. And I would, I would think that I might not be the only one uh, who, uh, who is cis at experiencing an ambiguity about, uh, you know, th- all the, the gender construct, you know, that we're kind of, uh, in a way, caught in uh, the roles that we're given. Um, but um, for the, some of the trans folks that I'm uh, reading, they'll describe often, for many years, sitting with uh, trying to accept this body as it is. So saying like, this body is of, of this uh, nature right now, and I shouldn't make any transformation. I should accept. Buddhist acceptance would be to accept the body as it is. And with the development of practice, their level of acceptance is of a different nature at some point, there is the insight, I have to deeply accept that I'm in a trans body. That there's a real experience of dysphoria. And that there's something that needs to be done about this. You know, and, they, and sometimes it's, it's an extremely painful, um, um, painful journey, it seems, because there's no support maybe from family, from society, and even no support from the Buddhist uh, organization these people belong to, these folks belong to. And, but, and that's what I love about what we're developing here, is the, the inner ethics. That's how I, I'll call this, the inner clarity. And to me, as a gay man, it's been extremely central. The fact that I've clarified for myself what is what. And I can know the truth from the inside. I don't have to follow a prescribed truth from the outside. I can know from the inside. There's enough connection and clarity. I've removed the layers of expectations and layers of prescriptions and layers of injunctions and layer of shoulds and and this not all but enough to have some clarity and self-honoring self-respect and uh, self-recognition deep self-recognition for this experience um, so that there can be a, a true acceptance not something that disguised as acceptance is a bypassing, you know. So why do we sit and walk and pay attention (coughs) as we eat and move about here? Because we want to become uh, really sensitive to the experience, uh, to to reality. A couple of years ago, I had the chance to... uh, teacher retreat with uh, Dr. Judson Brewer, who's the director of research at the Mindfulness uh, Center in Massachusetts. So the people around the MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, that that, uh, sub-school that was born maybe a a decade or two ago of, uh, of, um, you know, 
kind of a, a, a iteration of the Dharma, uh, kind of very applicable to, uh, the, you know, in society to people with maybe a chronic illness or disease, or maybe now more widespread. But uh, anyway, Judson is uh, is the research director there. And we were co-teaching a retreat, and he came with his, with um, you know his his uh, PowerPoint, and you know like it's a different kind of uh, way to to pass on the Dharma with all these cuts of the brain, you know, cut like this, cut like that, cut cut like this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and showing you neofrontal cortex and amygdala and all these things that I don't know about. And uh, and I was saying after the presentation to Judson, I was saying, God, it, every time I hear this, like right after I forget all this stuff, like I, it doesn't like stick with me. Mm-hmm. And Judson was saying, Pascal, it makes sense because this, what is here, is empty calories. Right. This is whole grain. This This is where the juice is. This is where the stuff is. This, we can't feel. That's why we invited, invented all these machines, MRI, CAT scan, to actually go see what's going on there because you can't feel it. There's no nervous ending. You know, so when, why teach somebody about their neurocortex? Well, because the religion right now is neurology and science. It makes sense. You can't feel it, but you'll believe it, <laughs> which makes me laugh a lot because <laughs> you can't actually feel it. Sit there, try to develop your frontal neocortex. You're never going to feel it. But um, anyway, and he was, he was saying, yeah, and I was saying, you're so right, because ethics for me is here. When I'm about to say something that could hurt, the squeeze is here. The information is on my skin because it, it gives me goosebumps to think that, oh my God, I said that and that was not the right thing to say or that was not the truth, you know. <gasps> I feel it in my back, I feel it in my guts. <gasps> I can't possibly say yes to this. It's going to, you know, not turn out well, you know, and the information is there. That's why we're practicing what we're practicing so we can gain access to this, reopen the feedback loop that's been cut off by ideas, assumptions, uh, norms, you know, uh, all of these preconceived ideas. You know, and here we're opening, you know, the the communication uh, wires, you know, so that we can actually feel stuff. <coughs> and so that's what we're doing. We're practicing becoming more sensitive, literally, so we can feel stuff again, you know and dive under the ideas we have about uh, reality and meet stuff, you know. Uh, in our head, we spend a lot of time bypassing, you know. You shouldn't feel like this, you shouldn't feel like this, you know. Honey, shut up. I feel like this, you know. <laughs> let's allow this to be felt and let's learn how to feel, how to allow the system to be, you know, washed through by shame, you know, by confusion, because these will come. Let's learn how to feel them and go get the gold in there, you know. Go get the information, you know. thinking of uh, Joanna Macy. Sorry, my uh, references are a lot uh, from North American. I don't want to be North American-centric, but unfortunately that's uh, what I've been exposed to, Canadian and American teachers a lot. And, uh, um, so there's Joanna Macy, who's, she must be in her 90s now. I don't know if some of you know her. She's uh, an activist, Buddhist scholar and teacher. And she talks, um, she, 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 you know, she, um, she talks a lot about, um, you know, the planet and, uh, and the everything that's going on with the climate change. And, uh, 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 and, the, and she, part of her work is, um, there's many parts to her work. 
it's actually very beautiful. And uh, but this part of her work, she called a, an, an aspect of the, what she teaches is despair work. And she said we need to open the feedback loop. We need to actually access the fear, the despair, because that's when we need that sensitivity to actually act and do change. Otherwise, we're kind of disconnected, uh, uh, cynical. We stay at bay from the from the fear. And she said we need to allow. Anyway, again, I don't want to talk for her, but uh, there's something about opening the feedback loop, you know. And so here, we do this. We come here and we create an environment where we can feel. So instead of being busy with all kinds of things, we, we're not busy. Instead of being stimulated by a hundred things, a lot of information coming from us, we renounce that. We put this down. What we inject in the field is silence, time, space. And hopefully we're going to start feeling things, you know. And so, you know, that's not un, uh, untypical on a retreat that suddenly would arise grief that hasn't been felt because we got really busy. We were very busy, you know. And here one of the things we renounce and also is trying to fix things. And often our identity, many of us, is into problem-solving. So... Give me a problem, I'll solve it. You know, that's my identity. And here we say we're not solving anything. So there might be an experience of a loss of identity. Who am I if I'm not figuring out something? You know, if I'm not planning something, reorganizing something, who am I? I'm freaking out. I don't want to be here because I'm losing my sense of identity. And here we're saying, good thing. Good thing. Be lost a little bit, you know. Let this sense of identity crumble a bit. And let's see in the ashes, you know, what kind of a phoenix will rise from under the bridge. And so, so that these are the conditions, you know, for, for to see the, the to, to, to see the different um, ways we uh, habitually meet life, you know, uh, our different addictions. And so here there's this really simple form, uh, sit, walk, sit, walk, and we'll see. You know, for some of us it'll be the comparing mind. Oh, they found a good spot to walk, I want to walk there the next time, you know. They look all enlightened, not me, you know. <laughs> So for some it'll be the comparing, for some of us it'll be, you know, we'll be under the spell of longing. Something else, I want to be somebody else in another reality, you know. And so we'll be duped, fooled by this, and at some point, given enough time, we'll wake up like, hold on, what is this that I'm under the spell of, you know? What is this dismissing of reality and kind of you know, being infatuated by something that is mind-made, that doesn't actually exist. Right. And so, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Sitting on retreat, you know, during the sitting, uh, what I would often do, <coughs> kind of unknowingly, not, not really aware of, maybe half-conscious of it, but certainly not mindful of it, what I would do is I would be sitting there, and at some point, for some reason, you know, the conditions, maybe boredom, maybe uh, certainly lack of acceptance of reality, I would start to fantasize uh, not having HIV. Like I would, uh, I would think, you know, if I didn't have all this medication, and, and for a while there was a lot of, um, you know, the medication I was uh, taking uh, came with a lot of uh, side effects of all kinds, you know, digestive and all, all kinds of side effects of tiredness and this and that. 
and the medication had to be refrigerated, so it meant for traveling it was making everything difficult. My practice was happening a lot in the States, and uh, the States could, could refuse m me entry because of the HIV status. So every time I was going to sit a retreat, I didn't know if I was going to actually reach the, the center. Um, and so, you know, and, you know, the shame, uh, or, you know, the shame my family felt, the, what I thought I was uh, perceived that I was imposing on my parents, you know, like to have a son, the son they probably didn't want, you know. They, want, they wanted another experience for, for, for themselves and for their son, you know. And anyway, so the many things around this, you know, the stigma in society and all this. So I would sit there, and so while maybe others were busy with other, <laughs> other things, maybe their breath, <laughs> or maybe their own life, I was dreaming about not having HIV. And it felt like I was taking a break from my reality, you know, so, I, so I, it was easy to travel, I could meet people, you know, everything was easy. And because it was a fantasy, it was del a delusion, Everything was uh, pleasant in that reality. Nothing was unpleasant. You see the level of delusion? You know, maybe you suffer from the same thing here and there. <laughs> where you think, oh, if there was this, you know, and you put on this only uh, good sensations, <laughs> pleasantness. Anyway, so I was there, you know. And, uh, and then I would come back. And my reality was a little more shitty than this, you know. But I remember one time, maybe because of prior moments of presence, one time I came back to the sitting, you know, I realized, oh my God, I mean, I'm, I've been dreaming. And on the way, like waking up, suddenly I saw what I had not seen was that this was a really bad setup. Because every time I was going there, coming here was m difficult. And there also it became really clear, it was not words, it was an insight, you know, something was seen in the true light. You know. And I could see, oh, this is a constant, a regular dismissal, and dismissing reali my reality. And it deeply touched me that I was, it was violent, actually. It was a turning away, a rejecting, uh, and not caring, and not considering, and not living with. It appeared like this, and in that moment I decided that was the last time. I'm not... You know, the way it appeared to me was uh, from now I'm going to cherish this life, this crooked life. I'm going to cherish. I'm going to meet this life. I'm going to honor this life. I'm going to be with this life. Not the other life that, by the way, does not exist. It's a creation of the mind. It's a, you know, it's a delusion. I'm actually going to re, kind of redirect my energy towards reality by accepting it, by becoming tender with it, by respecting it, you know. And this too had a taste of liberation. I was liberated from the spell of the other life that could be, or could have been, you know. Cleared that, ah, and now there was availability here. And the way it came to me also was uh, something like, you know, if I die, and I've been able to meet this life, the one really happening. I've been, and the, and you know, and an image I could use is, um, imagine there's a spear, is that the, the word? Like a, you know, a long thing that, <coughs> somebody's, yeah, like this. So the sense I had with the HIV for a while was that I had a big spear, you know, and every time I was meeting people, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah there's a spear. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and people would say, like, hey, come come in the car with me. We'll drive downtown, you know. Oh, 
yeah, I want to, but we can't close the window even if it's winter because there's a spear. You know, there's always a spear there in the in, in the middle of every situation. You're going to bed with somebody. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a spear. <laughs> you know, do, do you mind? You know, well, <laughs> okay, we'll make space for the spear. And uh, and at that point, it appeared like this, and I thought, oh, actually, if I could live all my life gracefully with the spear sticking out. That would be actually a really beautiful life, you know, to be able to accommodate something that seems to be on the w- in the way all the time, you know. And uh, suddenly there was a kind of energy that arose, you know, a kind of a joyful curiosity. That's one of the factors of enlightenment, you know, the the curious, the curiosity for life. That's what we're developing here as we sit and walk. We become interested in the actual experience. Being interested, being attentive, being interested, in time will bring energy. That energy in time will bring some kind of joy. I actually want to be here. You know, and you see this uh, in all kinds of ways on retreat. You know, at some point you've paid attention and there's something good about paying attention. And even if one of the tastes is not so good, the mind is engaged with reality. So it's not saying, oh, I don't like this. It's not, you know, reactive as habitually it is. It'll be like, oh, unpleasant taste. How interesting is that? Unpleasant. And maybe we'll <laughs> taste again. That could be one version. Or here, you might have a pain somewhere, and usually, aversion comes. But this time, because of what we're building in the mind, the qualities we're building in the mind, instead of dismissal, refusal, aversion, we'll become interested. Oh, look at that. What is that thing that is disagreeable? Or maybe it won't be with something disagreeable. Maybe it'll be with something that is neutral, doesn't stand out. But because of the quality of our attention, it will start to stand out. I don't know, but for me, easily, uh, doorknobs, doors, uh, handrails can do that. If I'm unattentive, a handrail is absolutely boring, or pushing a door is boring. But if I'm attentive, I often discover that there is temperature to the metal door. It's suddenly very cold. Or some doors give easily, and some doors, it's amazing, they, they have amazing resistance. And a hand on the handrail could be unnoticed. But noticed becomes slightly interesting. So, and to me this is quite amazing, because I might believe that I need to be somebody else, living without HIV, or, you know, this or that. Put in there what you want. And in the moment of presence, that illusion falls. There's just exactly what's there, the feet landing. And it shows me, you know, the way I can be very impressed by something that has nothing in its core. You know, that I can get fooled, thinking something is solid when actually it's just an inflation, a construction of the mind. Do you follow me a little bit? And so here we pay attention to deconstruct our views, the way we perceive things, perceive some things as, um, you know, in an obsessive way, and we'll find out that actually it was an ephemeral light thing that looked heavy, and maybe it was not that heavy. I still have HIV, it's still the same disease. Somehow, it's held very, very differently than it was, you know? It's still exactly the, the same thing. Not only this, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll go a little bit further and you'll, you'll, 
you might follow me there or not. But there was a time, especially at the moment where I was in the doctor office and they said, you know, you have, you have HIV. I took it on as a new identity. Suddenly I was almost only that, an HIV positive person. And it was a really big shock, of course. But I misunderstood something, or at least it appears differently now. Now by paying attention, I've actually seen this identity flicker. I'm not always HIV positive. Sometimes I'm just somebody who's flushing the toilet. It's, it's not actually part of my experience at that moment. If I had to live all my life with this, it would be extremely heavy. You know, every conversation, it would be, it was for a while. But now it's not. It appears, it flickers. You know, suddenly, whoops. You know, it's time to take the pills. It appears in the conversation, you know, uh, somehow it appears. And I allow it to appear, hold it carefully, and I notice also its disappearance. You know, whoops, it's not acting, active in this moment here now. It has actually vanished for a moment. I'm not delusional. I'm not saying that if you did the test, it wouldn't, it, the test would still be there. But from the human experience, it flickers. So does flicker my uh, being gay. I'm not always a gay man. Sometimes I'm just a friend, you know. Uh, you know, it flickers. It comes in and out. Uh, and so there's a lightness where there was a rigidity before. There's a little bit more of a lightness. I'm not always a sun. Huh? It flickers in my experience. You know, sometimes, whoops, I forgot to make a phone call. You know, and I'm a, real, I'm a sun. Not only am I a sun, but I'm a bad sun. <laughs> 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 For a moment. But I'm not always a bad sun. You know, it flickers. And many of us, we've, we've, you know, we've taken on identities that we really, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this just to sell my point really well. Anushka says, uh, talks about this sometimes, and she says, uh, she said, imagine I'm a teacher. And she said, I get to the airport, and they say, oh, so here's your um, seat, your 27B. And... Uh, and uh, she said, imagine, I say to the, the, the person there, say, oh, no, 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 I'm the teacher, I sit in front. <laughs> and she's like, no, honey, <laughs> no, you're not the teacher, you're a passenger. No, 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 I'm a teacher. <laughs> no, let the teacher down. You know? <laughs> like you, this is an identity that arises and it vanishes sometimes. It's good that it vanishes. Otherwise, you think this is who you are and you have to act accordingly all the time. You know? not, not so, not so. You know, it can come in and come out, you know. It doesn't have to be there. Otherwise, if it's always there, it's heavy. It's heavy for us, but it's heavy for others also, you know. And so here, maybe in the walking, the sitting, the paying attention, we'll see this, uh, you know. The retreat appears and vanishes all the time, you know. If you think like, oh, I'm on retreat for another two days, it's unbearable. Notice how it will vanish and reappear sometimes. Sometime you, you'll just be somebody, uh, I don't know, pulling down a curt, pulling a curtain, you know. Let the retreat vanish for a second, you know. Because if you carry the retreat the whole time, it's going to be really heavy. It's impossible, but only the mind, the conceptual mind can do this. You know. Okay, so I'll stop here. These are a few ideas about, uh, about uh, practice. So let's uh, sit in silence for a few moments here. Thank you so much. Just seeing if we can allow what is there to be there and met with care. Allowing the 
immediate uh, arising to be known. It could be tiredness, it could be joy, it could be discouragement, it could be ache, it could be silence. all find a deep inner freedom in the midst of these circumstances. May we uh, be able to offer also uh, recognition and protection and freedom to all beings, no one excluded. May all beings be safe. Thank you very much for your listening and uh, for your practice and your consideration. Now let's uh, have a enjoy a, a silent meal together, human rel- relatives. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.